Back in 1678, John Bunyan published a book titled Pilgrim's Progress. It's an allegory that follows the journey of the main character, Christian, from the city of destruction to the celestial city. Along his journey, Christian, traveling with his companion, Hopeful, realized that the character Ignorance has fallen far behind on the path. Ignorance enjoys traveling by himself. He explains that he is always full of good motion, that he has left all and thinks of God and heaven on his own. Let's listen in on their conversation. Christian, but why, or by what, art thou persuadest that thou hast left all for God and heaven? Ignorance, my heart tells me so. Christian, the wise man says, he that trusts his own heart is a fool. Ignorance. This is spoken of an evil heart, but mine is a good one. Christian. But how dost thou prove that? Ignorance. It comforts me in the hopes of heaven. Christian. That may be through its deceitfulness, for a man's heart may minister comfort to him in the hopes of that thing for which he yet has no ground to hope. Ignorance. But my heart and life agree together, and therefore my hope is well grounded. Christian. Who told thee that thy heart and life agree together? Ignorance. My heart tells me so. Christian. Ask my fellow if I be a thief. Thy heart tells thee so. Except the word of God bears witness in this matter, other testimony is of no value. Ignorance. But is it not a good heart that has good thoughts? And is it not a good life, one that is according to God's commandments? Christian. Yes, that is a good heart that has good thoughts. And that is a good life that is according to God's commandments. But it is one thing indeed to have these, and another thing only to think so. Have you ever had that conversation with someone? In our pilgrim journey, we may come across characters like ignorance who have isolated themselves and walk in their own ways. They say they love the Lord. They speak of Him. They are comforted in their heart that they are in good standing with God. But what if they're deceived? This isolated and emotionally driven faith becomes especially dangerous in stagnant church settings. This is good ground for the seeds of pietism to take root. Pietism's beginnings can be traced back to the late 1600s in Frankfurt, Germany, within the Lutheran Church, and often attributed to Philip Spainer, who wrote a book titled Pia Desideria, or Pious Desires in English, although some might go further back, maybe point to Johann Arndt, and some would go further back even than that. But in any case, it seems that the movement of what became pietism took on a form that even Spainer himself may have never even intended. There is a disguised danger with pietism. I say that because it has built into its very nature godly principles, spiritual language, 
that propose an answer to church settings that are threatened by dead traditionalism. Pietism can be very difficult and challenging to define. There is no official we-believe doctrine for the Church of the Pietists. And pietism should not be confused with piety itself or pious living, which are both commendable characteristics of a child of God. Piety is akin to godliness. The problem with the movement of pietism, and that's what it is, it's a movement, not a church, is that it focuses more on an inner experience than doctrinal correctness. If we continually focus on ourselves and what we need to do in this life, our specific calling, the inner experience, our personal relationship with Jesus Christ, without the balance of a biblical brotherhood, we run the risk of doing it at the expense of doctrine. Due to the environment that pietism is often born within, the church structure and authority is seen as a problem. Here's why. One might say, the word doesn't have free course in the church. We can't come to unity as a brotherhood on doctrinal matters. And so there is tension and striving about words, which causes division and loss of fellowship. As a result... I'm not feeling spiritual. The problem is, that isn't actually the problem. Pietism misdiagnoses the problem and offers an incomplete solution. The problem is that the church has redirected its focus to defining and redefining terms and uniting around them as opposed to living them. If the teaching isn't practical and can apply to or impact our lives, what value does it actually have? Additionally, the voice of the church is limited, and leadership is not held accountable. So because they cannot impact the greater whole, they focus on themselves and in their own personal faith experience. These same issues can also drive passionate followers of Jesus to turn inward, fed up with the doctrinal debates and broken systems. Seeking fellowship, small groups of zealous believers begin working it out on their own, focusing on how things make them feel, an inner experiential fellowship with Christ, and little churches begin within the big church. Emphasizing doctrine creates controversy, and so doctrine isn't stressed. Therefore, tolerance of doctrinal deviation is accepted, as long as the heart is set right. Well, in the meantime, you start reading verses like in 2 Timothy 3, 5, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. And so what happens? Welcome to radical pietism. Radical pietism is a response of those who are rejected. They realize that these little fragmented churches within a big church model isn't what Jesus came to build. And those pietistic groups uproot and gather themselves. If the established church can't figure it out, then we'll figure it out. We can do church anywhere. We don't need all that church authority and debate about doctrine. We don't want an academic or scholastic approach to the Bible. We want to experience and consider how the Bible makes me feel. Now, 
This is not to be confused with groups throughout history and in our day who have separated themselves to reestablish sound doctrine and holy living. Stepping back into the framework of pietism, a problem arises. Because there isn't a focus on unity of doctrine, what happens when error comes in? How or who is going to deal with it? One error is replaced with another. Now, if you spend time in my home, you will see a painting hanging on the wall depicting the broad and narrow way. It's a beautiful illustration that Jesus spoke of in the Sermon on the Mount. I later learned that this was a popular German pietist painting. And we want to be careful not to completely broad-brush radical pietism as entirely errant. We can likely consider the original Anabaptist and even Freilich movements as a type of radical pietism. The snare that neither of these groups fell into in their beginnings was to say that individual feelings are the final word and salvation is minimized to an experience. Instead, they sought after brotherhood unity. They read that we will all be one and that there will be no divisions, we'll be of the same mind, the same judgment, there will be no schism, we'll be like-minded of one accord, of one mind, not tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, but our faith and our knowledge will be unified. Pietism separates head and heart, structure and life. But life needs structure because structure sustains life. And structure needs life because without it, it's a graveyard. As I referenced earlier, one could point to Samuel Freilich and say he had pietistic tendencies. For example, Freilich penned these words less than four months before he died. Division is better than the union of unlike elements. In our last times, the kingdom of heaven is like unto ten virgins who cannot be united because of their inner differences. Even though there is apparently a formal unity in their endeavors, each must look out for herself. The end will reveal who was right and who was wrong. By a formal union, all those who teach otherwise would have the right to teach in our church without the inner unity of the doctrine of Christ, and that shall not be. Now, that might sound like pietism, but Freilich did understand the need for solidarity and doctrinal unity. Just before the portion I quoted, Freilich also said, In a true church of God, one permits no difference of views to arise or to obtain. Unity and agreement must exist, even on points of minor importance. For just in this free choice of views, Satan has his sport and his playground, and thereby the door is opened to error. In conclusion, maybe you find you have some pietist tendencies or find yourself exhausted of all the doctrinal variants in our day, and you find fulfillment rather in the inner experience and feelings because your heart tells you so. Beware of the dangers of pietism, but in so doing, do not reject piety. Our source of all motivation and actions must be the Holy Spirit, and our final authority must be the Word of God. Our emotions and feelings 
should be the result, not the cause, of our confidence. The influence of pietism can be deceiving, and maybe even embraced ignorantly. So examine your heart for places where this thinking may have given you permission to compromise.